You're listening to Cybersecurity Inside, the podcast where you can discover what you need to know about cybersecurity. To learn more, visit us at cybersecurityinside.com. Most organizations don't attack the tax for two to three years. Why on earth is a subject like this is so important not matter to me? There are multiple layers of security that you need in an organization, and sadly, there's no one-size-fits-all. Hi, and welcome to the Cybersecurity Inside Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Garrison, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Camille Morehart. How are you doing, Camille? Hi, Tom. I'm doing well. Boy, you know, on store for today is one of those kind of big brain topics that is responsible cyber and what that means. Uh, It's a pretty interesting sort of concept when you try to tackle it piece by piece. Yeah. I mean, we're used to hearing about responsible AI. That's kind of the talk of the day. Um, But really, AI is accessing a bunch of other information, which falls into a broader category of cybersecurity or cyber privacy or trustworthiness. And that's kind of what she gets into is really, you know, sussing that out and figuring out Does everybody now need an advanced degree in cybersecurity or is there some kind of onus on providers to actually bring people up to speed in a moment or make a reasonable decision on their behalf? Um, And can they do that or are motivations aligned or misaligned? Yeah, exactly. There's so, there's so many different aspects here, including like if you want to even try to educate people about being able to make reasonable choices regarding cyber privacy or or their overall security, that in and of itself is a massive undertaking when you think about an entire culture or across the various uh, societies around the world. So how can we take small but measured steps that are going to have a real impact? That's what we're going to dive into. So what do you say? Let's get into it. Yeah, let's give a listen. Our guest today is Dr. Magna Shelley. She is a world-renowned cybersecurity leader, author, public speaker, and serial entrepreneur. She is a certified information system security professional and a certified information security officer. So welcome to the podcast, Magna. Hello, Tom. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here today. Yeah, so we wanted to spend our time today and talk about responsible cybersecurity. So let's just start off with what does that mean for you? I think, you know, the topic of cybersecurity has been in the news for many years. However, we still are facing a very big challenge with the common public or anyone understanding really the impact of using technology and the risk associated. And responsible cyber is all about understanding the responsibility of everyone while using technology. It's not a matter of someone protecting you. You need to protect yourself first and then have the support of others to ensure safety online. Right. And so can you give examples of what you mean by responsible cybersecurity? One example that I really like to use is actually a very simple one. We are all using social media, right? And on social media platforms, we have settings. 
And those settings can allow us to configure certain controls, either for security or privacy. They are not pre-configured for us. We need, as individuals, to choose them and activate them. And that's a very good example of how the responsibility comes down to the individual, to the user, and they need to take that step in order to protect their accounts. How do you see this playing out? I, I'm thinking about the huge gap in skill sets between various users. Like there's the people that really don't understand cybersecurity for sure, but technology more generically, they just sort of use it, but they don't really understand it or how it works. And then you have all the way up to experts. The latter group there is pretty obvious that they can be trained or, or you know, be made aware of what it takes for them personally to protect themselves. But what about that first group that doesn't really understand how technology works and may not really understand even the risk? How, how do you tackle that? Well, I would say it's our responsibility is the cybersecurity industry's professionals who need to ensure that they align a little bit more the explanations and especially the awareness around those technologies in a better and more acceptable way for anyone, any user. So we have seen commonly technical topics or even articles in the news talking about concepts that even certain technical people will not understand because they are specific to a particular domain. We're talking about acronyms that are not also easy to understand. So if we would like to bring that awareness to the general public and ensure that users who are just using technology for daily activities understand the risk associated, take the right steps, we need to change the way how we communicate around cybersecurity. We cannot use the same way and approach of a little bit showing off how much we know by using those concepts. We need actually to simplify and always take a step back and assume that the other person doesn't know at all our industry, our domain. So, for example, clearly we're talking about sometimes, of course, about phishing. Why do we assume that the person in the audience understand the term phishing? We cannot assume that. We need to completely forget about those concepts from our perspective and put ourselves in the perspective or in the shoes of someone who has absolutely no idea about our specific domain. It's not so much uh, to have a goal of educating or making everybody aware and using appropriate or accessible terminology to do that. You're saying it's a step past that. The onus really needs to fall on uh, the service provider or the goods provider or the information provider to either do a real-time awareness or real-time training where it's sort of like, if you check this box, this is the implication, you know, or to make some set of assumptions that fall under kind of a, what a reasonable person would want and then apply that with an ability to change, but not just sort of throw their hands up and say, well, you know, here's a bunch of really complicated information and we're going to default to collecting all of it unless you know what to check. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely, Camille. And I think, you know, 
we are working and living in an ecosystem. We are not working in silos, right? And it is the responsibility of every stakeholder to help the other stakeholder within that ecosystem to protect not only the users, but as well themselves. So what does it mean? If I am a customer and I'm using a product, I should trust that vendor or provider to give me the right support and the right awareness to make sure that I can protect myself online. I cannot just ignore the fact that every technology comes with associated risk and, for example, share complicated documentation and expect that user to be capable of understanding that and implementing it. So it's a shared responsibility. It's a social responsibility that needs to be taken a little bit more you know, at heart or from the heart of everyone providing technology, not just trying to um, bring or delegate that responsibility to the users, because as we said and Tom mentioned, they might not know. So it seems to me like if we, if we were to look at uh, maybe a different industry, like I'm thinking about furniture. When you buy furniture, it used to be, and I'm, I'm remembering back when I was much younger, that the the instructions like you needed a PhD to to assemble the furniture. It, it was it was ridiculously complicated. They'd have it in like six different languages and da 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 da. But over time, the instructions they sort of changed them, and and now the instructions are a lot better. And that's not to say they're perfect. I'm sure there's people out there groaning saying, "Oh, these instructions are still terrible," but they're designed with the idea that the person on the other end really doesn't know what they're doing. They've limited the, the choices. They, they, and in a lot of cases, they just use pictures. But I, I wonder if there is like an analogy here on the security side. Part of what the industry has done is try to make the whole installation process so easy that they've taken the choice away and they've just gone to like a one-click install. And embedded in that is a whole bunch of security selections and, and and whatnot that need to go on. And so it, we've like vacillated in the industry back and forth between hyper complicated and super, super simple, but then shielding the security element. Tom, I love the analogy. I, I do think that there is a lot of advancement that we can do in the security and in general in the technology industries to achieve that. So make it literally, first of all, by default, security has been optional for so many tools that we are using and still providers even, or even requires an additional payment. We need to ensure that the service providers, the technology providers actually build software, build tools with the right security by default. Uh, Imagine building a house without a door or without a lock. Is that even possible? No, it is not imaginable. However, we still do that when providing, for example, IoT devices without the possibility to enforce a password. Uh, And the first point, again, make security by default and not as an option afterwards. The second, of course, there might be several levels of security. Um, Certainly, for example, if you need a very strong door, I'm coming back to the analogy with the house, you might have several locks and you might have special keys or an electronic lock that is uh, very much more advanced. Now, if you don't need that because you consider that you just need a simple lock with a key uh, because you're living in a safe country, because you don't have valuables in the house, you might choose that option. 
but you understand very clearly the difference. So if the software or the tool is built but with security by default, you have then the second step, which would allow the users to choose the level of additional security required depending on their environment, context, requirements as well. You know, in your opinion, do is it enough to say this is a social responsibility and the tech providers need to make this clear um, and help people make decisions? Or is there just an inherent conflict that arises in some senses? I mean, I can think of um, collecting data, for example, where there's too much motivation on the part maybe of the tech provider to to encourage the person to allow the collecting of the information. And so you think that we need more stringent standards or regulations to actually make sure it's happening. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, absolutely, Camille. I think, you know, whenever we want to change the overall ecosystem that has been there for many years, already functioning in a certain way, and accelerate the maturity and perhaps enforce the social responsibility, we need to have a certain framework or at least regulatory requirements to force that. What I have been working on, for example, a lot of my clients in general is that I bring awareness around why you need security clauses in the contracts. It's not only about trust with your service provider, it is also ensuring that things are done and aligned with your expectations when everything goes well and when something happens. We are in a commercial world where, of course, if we have a company, we try to bring additional paid services, additional, like you said, monetized data or do any other related activities that help us increase that revenue. And therefore, if a company has a certain, I would say, ethical behavior, there is still a balance to reach. But I do believe that in order to enforce that, we need to have additional, not only regulatory frameworks, but laws and regulations in general that put a stop to that and ensure that there is actually protection of the individual's protection of the users in general. Okay, then a quick follow-up question would just be, what are those thresholds that you know a, a society should look at in order to know that it's time to add that? It is a debate, Camille. I think it will take hours and hours to answer that. Uh, I don't think it's a black or white answer. I think it very much depends. And like any law and regulation, it is a result of a lot of research and many lawyers coming together in order to understand what is the best way to address certain challenges. And especially when it comes to data privacy or data security in general, we have seen that privacy laws took many years and in some countries they are still not enforced because of the challenges that it leads to. Companies cannot just like in a matter of days implement certain new aspects for their businesses. And the same would apply if we just enforce something else around general security. If we put in place a law, we need to make sure that the companies and the users are able to implement it. And I give you a simple example. This is a personal opinion. If we force companies to have a chief information security officer, we need to ensure that there is the supply. If we don't have the supply, we cannot have a law that enforces that. So again, it is a very hard question to answer. And I do not think that uh, it's neither simple or trivial, uh, but 
it is, uh, a, I would say, a long collaboration and work together with the right people, legal, privacy professionals that would help to achieve this particular balance. So you mentioned before that when you meet with your customers, you coach them about like what sort of clauses to put into their contracts and whatnot. Can you give examples of the kind of clauses or the kind of protections that you suggest be put into agreements? Oh, absolutely. Um, For example, very often I have clients using outsourcing software development companies. Uh, And those software development companies might not have the right secure coding practices. So very clearly advise and recommend those clients to actually add clauses that enforce that and enforce, for example, the training of the developers. So at least you know that the software is built with a specific standard. On another topic as well, there are two other aspects that I really like to uh, recommend is incident response. So what happens in case of an incident, a cyber attack or a data breach, uh, not only from a notification perspective, but if the supplier or the provider has a breach, what are the next steps and what are the requirements from the client? And the last one is around actually managing security vulnerabilities. So this depends, of course, on the particular service provider or product, but I do encourage my clients to actually include all the security updates as a complementary service or a free service as part of the contract rather than coming in front of the situation and then the provider asking for additional fees because it's not part of the initial scope. Is there pushback on this or or is this generally accepted by the providers? Well, I would say it's generally accepted, but I would say it also relates to the fact that You know, when you are a client, you basically have a little bit more power over that because you're buying. So you have the capability to say, those are my expectations and I want that to be achieved. Uh, But again, it depends on the context as well. If you already signed a contract and you are renegotiating, that might be requiring a different communication and perhaps it might not be as easy as when you have that expectation from the initial negotiation and initial scoping and contractual discussions. Uh, so I would say, yeah, it's it's mostly implemented if it's a new contract and if it's a renewed contract where those clauses were not included, then they might be a little bit more challenging, but it's all about how do you bring that communication and discussion with your vendor or supplier is supposed to be your partner. So just not come up as only expectations, but explain why it's important and perhaps try to find a way to make sure that it actually brings that visibility that is for the good of both. Because when something happens, then the consequences are not only on the client, but as well as the service provider. Magda, I know you focus a lot on diversity and inclusion as it relates to cybersecurity. And I'm wondering if you can explain to us why you think that that's important in this field. In the latest years, we have seen statistics about really very low of female professionals in the cybersecurity industry. We're talking about 11% and then 20%. And of course, those statistics not only are low in general, but they also 
discourage perhaps the younger generations into getting into the field. And I do believe that cybersecurity is extremely interesting. It's, I'm passionate about it, learning every day and discovering about different things. So I would really like to see more diversity in the field and not only from the gender perspective, but just in general. Why? Because it's very, very interesting. And as I mentioned, allows to learn continuously. Now, in order to achieve that diversity, we need to have role models. And those role models encourage the younger generations, like I mentioned, but as well, you know, for example, young girls in schools that did not see previously uh, professionals in cybersecurity leading or having exceptional careers or providing really the services that we provide today, right, in general. So diversity and inclusion not only is very important to achieve much more, again, like capabilities, opportunities, drive more innovation, but as well, we need that in order to drive the younger generation into our field. If not, it just continues to be very non-inclusive and non-diversified. Yeah, no, it, in a strange way, it ties back to what we discussed earlier, which is that sort of awareness on cybersecurity and making those intelligent choices as you have you know, whatever the product or service that you're installing, that you're making the right choices, there's a level of awareness that you need. And then we could also not only educate for that purpose, but educate earlier in schools and get females and minorities that are underrepresented today, get them excited about cybersecurity. And so we actually sort of kill two birds with one stone in this sense. So I definitely think there's an opportunity there for sure. I'm wondering if, from a perspective on approach, is it more important to highlight cybersecurity and create you know courses and programs that everybody can access or that that are even required in you know in some sense, or is it more important to merge cybersecurity with other fields where you know if you're studying artificial intelligence, then you know this is a this is a core part of it. Uh, you know if you're studying manufacturing or you're studying supply chain or elements in critical infrastructure or systems thinking or sustainability, then this automatically is like one of the prerequisites to to kind of continue in that field. Has it not gotten as much attention in the past because it's a standalone thing sitting in its own area, like computer science versus saying, I'm not interested in computer science, but I'm doing aeronautics and astronautics. And now I'm very interested in cybersecurity because, you know, it relates directly to my field. Absolutely. I think both are needed. But what we have seen during the last years is that there is a clear disconnect between cybersecurity and business. Whenever we are talking about cybersecurity, we're talking very often about vulnerabilities, technical concepts. We report to boards even on things that they cannot understand. So this disconnect needs to be closed. If not, we will never achieve the uh, outcome that we want to achieve, which is reducing the risk associated with the technology that we are using from cyber attacks and data breaches. So if we are, for example, learning artificial intelligence, we should be able to learn as well about the risk associated, and cyber is one of those risks in order to, of course, efficiently implement that technology afterwards and maximize its benefits and its usage.
we do have one segment that we always like to close on, and that is called Fun Facts. And so I wonder if you have a fun fact that you'd like to share with our listeners. Yes, Tom, I have actually uh, a fun fact. I would say one of the very interesting activities of myself and my husband is actually to ride camels on the beach in Tunisia. <laughs> is that a comfortable? Well, yeah, I'm not bad. Not bad. It's entertaining. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's definitely entertaining. Nice. Very, very cool. Very cool. How about you, Camille? Since summer has officially started, I have a very fun fact. Oh. Here it is. Are you ready? I'm ready. Why did the cantaloupe jump in the swimming pool? I have no idea. It wanted to be a watermelon. Oh, God. Oh, Camille. <laughs> I knew it was going to be something like that. It just it had to be. All right. So my fun fact is a short and sweet, and I thought very interesting. Did you know that in badminton, the top speed ever recorded for the uh, shuttle is over 300 miles per hour? Wow. I thought, I thought it was like 55 miles an hour. No. So anyway, cool stuff. All right. Well, hey, Magna, thank you so much for joining us today on this topic of responsible cyber. It's a great topic, and I think uh, we can all take a little bit away from this conversation. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you very much, Camille. It was my pleasure to be here today with you. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cybersecurity Inside. Follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.